time to head across the Tasman now with a wonderful journalist. He's from the Sydney Morning Herald. We're going to talk a little bit of rugby about the Eddie Jones. And first of all, I want to talk a bit about the cricket. Tom, welcome in. G'day, how's it going? Very, very well, thank you. Um, even on this side of the Tasman, the David Warner situation has created a lot of talkback and a lot of uh, discussion over this side of the ditch. I, I would imagine that it's probably been put to bed, but what a messy bed it was. Oh, very much so. I think David Warner coming out on the eve of the test was all sorts of distractions on a number of different fronts. He felt the need to come out and say that he'd basically given up of trying to ever become captain of Australia or any team for that matter within Australian cricket. Um, it exploded in the first couple of days of the test. It didn't have a massive impact on the on the results or how the team went, uh, given that they were emphatic in a victory over the Windies. But uh, yeah, certainly um, of course it made the stir over here and as you say, a lot of discussion as to whether Cricket Australia were in the right or the wrong or how that process played out. Has he got any sympathisers over there in Australia? For David Warner? Yeah. There's a lot. Yeah, like I think the majority of people would say that he's done his time. I mean, you've got to remember that David Warner, it was his idea um, to, to do what they did in Cape Town, but Steve Smith was the captain of that side. Steve Smith captained Australia um, against the Windies in the most recent test, and it was Cameron Bancroft who actually had the sandpaper in his pocket. So, uh, you know, Steve Smith came out yesterday in the press and said that he felt that it was fundamentally wrong that anyone would be banned for life or something uh, around leadership roles in the future. So yeah, there are a lot of people who do sympathise with Warner. Um, the guy's in the twilight of his career. He's offered so much to Australian cricket, but yet um, there was a bit of a blundered process there from Cricket Australia and how that all played out. So yeah, there is sympathy. What about the stance that a lot of people say he should just be grateful that he's allowed to even play? Because we've seen Pakistani cricketers jailed for, for um, cheating in cricket. Um, it just sounds like he... And this is just from me. It doesn't sound like he's been grateful at all just to have the opportunity. Oh, the Pakistani cricketers, though, were, were match-fixing, which I would argue is a very, very different um, kettle of fish to ball tampering. There were guys in that South African team that they played who ball tampered. And, mm. um, you know, they only received one match band and are allowed to play. The reality is that cricket teams for a long, long time have tried to artificially you know, do things to the ball and, and not get caught. And unfortunately, the Australians got caught in a big way. But I think that's a little bit over the top to sort of say that he should never play again because you could roll off the list of players who've been done for ball tampering. You know, maybe not to that sort of brazen extent. But, um, yeah, and you've got to remember it wasn't Warner either who had the, the sandpaper in his pocket. So we could be arguing should Cameron Bancroft have had a lifespan, you know. So I think it's pretty harsh, ultimately. Is part of the 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 amount of heat in the conversation because it is David Warner? Um, yeah, possibly. I think I think though the issue is that it's not going away because the whole story of what happened that day has not been explained. I mean, Steve Smith has spoken a bit at length, but David Warner and his team and management believe there's a, a far greater pictures to this and who knew what on that day the fast bowlers have all come out and said that they didn't believe they had any knowledge of, of what went on so there's a sense that David Warner is cooking up either a book or a documentary or something later when he retires to sort of blow the lid on what actually happened that day um, yeah I think people in hindsight might have uh, can understand that it was blown a little bit out of proportion at the time when it happened relative to other things that happened 
But, look, David Warner had to spend a year away from the game, which is pretty hard to do. He's come back, played his, played his cricket, and he just inquired whether he could be, you know, captain again of a team and, and get his leadership in capacity in some way, shape or form to help some younger guys out, but that hasn't come to fruition. So if the sandpaper thing had never happened, and it's hard to remove that from our minds, do you feel like he is a prime candidate to captain Australia? Maybe not necessarily. Um, yeah, it's sort of hard to know. I think if sandpaper didn't happen, Steve Smith probably remains captain, given that they're a, a similar age. Smith is slightly younger than David Warner, so I don't think he probably would have captained Australia, but there is a sense that for the shorter-form stuff, I know Aaron Finch has filled that role um, admirably for a number of years before walking away. Um, so maybe in some of the shorter-form stuff, I know he's you know Warner's had captaincy experience over in the IPL and I say he's got a very astute cricket mind. So, look, it's yeah, it's it's more the it's more the, the you know the the process of, of him being allowed to do it rather than sort of it all happening. Before we leave cricket, actually, slightly different subject. I was talking to Maddie White, who's a host of um, our sister station over in Australia, and I talked to him about the impact of the approach that the England cricket team are now taking to Test cricket. And as I suggested to him, the greatest cricket foes, the biggest cricket rivalry in the world is the Ashes. It is England-Australia. Has that whet the appetite even more for Aussie cricket fans about the next time you take on England with this whole new approach? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you've got to remember that Australia has had a lot of success against England in Ashes series, but uh, you know, recently over in England, that hasn't been the case. Australia drew the 2019 series. They retained the Ashes but didn't actually win that series, and they haven't won a series in England since 2001. So the next series is next year in England, obviously, and England were diabolically bad last summer in Australia, so um, that's a thing for Australian shores. But over in England, yeah, like it has wet the appetite. This England team have been revitalised and re-energised and are playing a brand of cricket that few people thought was possible at test level. It's coming off. Um, the big question is whether it will come off on the biggest occasion of all and the Ashes against an attack. Um, it's pretty good, and, and we'll be you know asking plenty of questions of those guys. But look, fascinating series to come. I think that'll be absolutely top level stuff next year. And the amazing thing is, I was thinking Ben Stokes as an Englishman uh, is about as an Australian cricketer as you can get, but he's playing for England. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I don't know what the public perception is of Ben Stokes over here, but I think they admire his fighting qualities and what, obviously what happened in that innings in 2019 Ashes was just absolutely ridiculous. So there is respect here for Ben Stokes. He didn't have a great summer on Australian shores um, last summer. But, look, everyone knows that if any team with Ben Stokes in it is a, is a dangerous prospect, and Australians won't be taking that serious lightly. Absolutely not, because they haven't won one in you know, more than 20 years in England. Mm. Um, Eddie Jones now. He's had a phone call um, with Australian rugby. Uh, that's all we sort of know. What do you think is going on and where will he land? Oh, it's a very good question. There's two parts to it. It's whether Australia would want to get him involved for 2023 um, and be involved in that setup heading into a World Cup or whether they see value in trying to possibly, and they might have other options in mind, whether they want to try and install Jones or someone else in 2024 after post-Dave Rennie. The sense is that Dave Rennie's not going to get a contract extension regardless of how they go at the World Cup. Teams are generally trying to prepare, you know, well in advance of, of sort of what happens post the World Cup. And Australia don't want to get to a World Cup 
have Australia bundle out in a quarter final, for example, and not have a good coach waiting in the wings. So my gut feel is that they'll try and um, speak to Eddie, gauge his interest. I know he is interested in doing something in the US. He has been linked there. Uh, he has a lot of options. He has a, a love for rugby league as well. He's been sort of trying to spruik his name to try and see if an NRL team would, would bite. So there are a number of different factors at play, but I think ultimately Australian rugby is where his heart lies. Uh, there's a Lions series in 25 and a Home World Cup in 27. I think that will be a, a huge carrot for, for Eddie. And ultimately, I think that'll be where he will land. But there's a lot of water under the bridge before that would happen. And that's on Rugby Australia too to make him offer. Where does Michael Checker sit in the landscape of Australian rugby? Or is that done for maybe in the future or maybe never? Oh, you would never say never. Michael Checker would love to coach the Wallabies again. Uh, he's, he's gone on record and said that. I think his record with Argentina is speaking for itself. The question is whether you know he can have sustained success with, with the team. Uh, look, I don't think it's going to be happening in the near future. I think that's more uh, post-2027 thing. Maybe if, if he was to reinvent himself and come back and um, mend a few bridges as well because that was quite an acrimonious split from Australian rugby at the time. Um, there are some people who haven't forgotten how that all played out and how that was handled. Uh, and his win record wasn't, you know, he took Australia to a World Cup final in 2015, but outside of that, his win record was a flat 50%, which was not certainly anything to um, crow home about. So, uh, yeah, we will see. But, uh, look, he's, he's floating around. I mean, clearly, um, he has a close connection with Eddie as well. I don't think they would probably work together, but um, yeah, look, he, he'll, he'll be there, thereabouts. Well, and, you know, M- Michael Cech is very much a project guy. He likes to coach all over the world. He's, you know, coaching France, Japan, you name it. He's Argentina now. He's been all over the trap. So, um, but I think ultimately, like Eddie, you know, he, coming back to the Wallabies is something you'd love to do at some point. And don't forget Lebanon and the Rugby League World Cup as well, which was just blimmin' amazing. <laughs> um, talking to Tom Decent, Sydney Morning Herald writer. Before we leave you, Tom, um, after a lot of uh, to and fro, the Super Rugby contract's been signed between New Zealand and Australia in its current form till 2030. While that's good for longevity of the competition, I was a little bit disheartened that we're not going to see any change in what does seem like a little bit of a tired format. What what was your reaction to the agreement between Australia and New Zealand for Super Rugby going forward? Yeah, it was interesting. I think, as you say, good good security to lock that in until 2030. Um, I think that Australia and New Zealand would actually be open to changing teams and, and bringing a few teams in, um, sort of maybe not next year or the year after, but sort of from 25 onwards. I don't think they're against that process. I think the Japan piece is something they'd really like to tap into at some point. But yeah, look, COVID totally obliterated Super Rugby in its, in its form that was sort of effectively there since 1996. I think having a little bit of stability for a couple of years, I think a joint commission is really good in terms of being able to market and, and sort of be on the same page. Uh, but give it a couple of years and then maybe if it's not working, try and evoke another team or bring them in and, and try and jazz it up a bit. But, yeah, I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it. But definitely administrators on both sides of the ditch 
in the years to come. I opened it to a bit of change, but there has been so much change in recent years. So I think they would like a bit of consistency in the years post-COVID. Does it annoy you that, uh, it annoys me, that administrators from different countries, they don't seem to get on. There's all this to and fro and arguing. I've seen it for years between the All Blacks and particularly England with they refuse to share a gate and refuse to do anything at Twickenham. And we've been talking about this global calendar for as long as I've been alive and it's never going to be resolved. There's just all this arguing and bickering, and I feel like the game itself will suffer. I agree. The global calendar stuff is a disgrace that that hasn't happened. That's a Northern Hemisphere problem. Everyone needs to get in a room and make that work. That's a great concept that should happen, and that's the biggest shame of rugby in the last sort of five years that that hasn't really got off the ground despite a lot of talks. The Australian New Zealand one's funny. I think they actually do get on, but um, Hamish McLennan likes to have a bit of fun in the media and um, he likes to get his way. I actually don't think he particularly has an issue with New Zealand rugby. Um, he, he, he wanted a greater slice of that broadcast revenue. He went out in the press and had a few pops at our Kiwi friends and um, probably got an okay deal out of it or a better deal than he initially did. So to say that there's hostility there, I don't think it's anything beyond a few barbs in the media and Hamish um, can't help himself from time to time. So um, it's good fodder. <laughs> but I think the Australian New Zealand one's better than some other countries, that's for sure. Yeah, oh, it, it definitely is. All right, Tom, really appreciate chatting to you this afternoon. Enjoy the rest of your week. Will do. Thank you. Cheers. Tom Deason out of the Sydney Morning Herald. Um, interesting stuff around the Eddie Jones. Um, had a text in just saying, Aussies just don't understand how the rest of the world think about David Warner. By and large, many of us just don't like him or the Australian team for that matter. From Mike and from Mark, once a cheat, always a cheat. Yeah, I just, I really struggle. And that's why I asked him the question, is it because it's David Warner? If it was um, um, Pat Cummins, if it was uh, Travis Head, like, is it, I just feel he is the least palatable player for this to happen to. Those names, even the names you mentioned off staff, I just can't stand the Aussie cricket team. Just all of them. <laughs> I don't care who it is. There isn't even Nathan Ryan? Oh, actually, he's he's on the edge, but a lot of them are just oh, they're painful. They're punishing. Pa- they're so. Pa- I mean, David Warner, who like cel- Remember that, that video came out when he was on the band, and he was like celebrating a hundred for basically what was club cricket. Yeah, and the, and people were almost like looking at him like, bro, this is like a almost social. Yeah, the <laughs> massive jump in the air and yeah, the and kiss like of the, the emblem. Yeah, kiss of, oh, yeah, it's a little bit too much for me. But um, you know the one that re- annoys me the most at the moment, mm. apart from David Warner, like he's he's yep. king of the world yes. of annoyance, is Josh Hazelwood. He reminds me of Glenn McGrath. Like if you play and miss, they just stare down there oh, and go, "Who do you think you are? What do you think They're you're just doing?" So cocky here? and arrogant. Yeah, come on, England. I think, I think actually. <laughs> And I agree with that text. I don't know if Tom or Australians understand the sentiment held towards guys like Dave Warner. So you asked that question. I asked him, has he yeah. got sympathisers expecting him to go no? And he yeah. said, there's heaps. Yeah. Done your time. Yeah. But it, it is a convict colony. <laughs> <laughs> so they're used to it. Jeepers. <laughs> tongue in cheek, tongue in cheek. Let's have some new sport and weather with a great carrot.